I'm Coach Seb, and this is Running New Mexico. All right. Joining me today, I have Curtis Beach. He is a former Albuquerque Academy Charger, uh, former Duke Blue Devil. He had uh, 17 individual individual New Mexico State titles in track, held three different implement standard for high school decathlon records. 2011 outdoor. NCAs was second, uh, 2012 indoor heptathlon winner, has competed at a couple of Olympic trials. So thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me on, Seb. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And so my first question is, how did you get into running? We'll start there. Yeah, so I used to live in Stanley, New Mexico. Most people probably haven't even heard of it, but right by Edgewood and Moriarty. And my mom's side of the family, they, they were ranchers and they had this horse on the, on, you know, on a pasture. And when I was seven, I would just kind of go through the little fence, barbed wire fence, and I would just chase a horse around like for like hours. And that's what I would just like kind of do for fun. And then, um, around that same time I would get in trouble and on purpose in soccer. So my coach would make me run laps. (laughs) So like. So I just loved running. I loved chasing the horse. I, you know, and I would like just purposely get in trouble so I could run more. And eventually I remember my dad said, Hey, like, we're going to sign you up for track and field. And I asked him like, well, what's that? And he just said, well, you basically do everything you do in soccer, except without like, without a ball, you just run. And he's like, I was like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And so (laughs) from there, like that's, that's how it started. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have talked to a few people that have, you know, made the transition from soccer to running, but uh, never heard of anybody purposely getting in trouble to <laughs> yeah. just do more of the running. <laughs> yeah, no, I did. And then and then the coach caught on and then he started making me do push-ups, which then it actually worked. So <laughs> <laughs> was it was it because you loved the running so much or were you trying to get out of the drills too or, or what was it? No. No, I, I just liked running. I don't know. I, I have no idea what it was. I didn't even have any role models at the time in track. I just ran. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it just kind of was something I liked. <laughs> that's that's amazing. And I think that yeah. I think that speaks a lot to a lot of kind of rural New Mexico, like just going out like you know, in Albuquerque, you don't really have the land, but outside of Albuquerque, a lot of people grow up on a decent amount of land and they can just go out mm-hmm. and and just go. I, I remember I used to go out and I'd take my dog and the dog would chase rabbits and then I'd chase the dog. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Nice. <laughs> it was, yeah. And it was just, I mean, I guess speed work now that I think about it, but it was just fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you were in a rural place too? Yeah, uh, up in Las Vegas, New Mexico, just outside. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, so how did that love of running transfer into starting to do, you know, other events? I mean, obviously you're a decathlete, so you do 
uh, throwing, jumping, hurdling, you know, how did you get into all of those things? So I ran on Albuquerque Track Club. First was Club Speedy, but that was maybe lasted two years. And then Albuquerque Track Club. And we had a great coach, uh, Ken Woodley, who just let the athletes pick their own events without any parent input. So I would just pick whatever I wanted to do. And I would do like long jump. I'd do the eight. I'd do the four. And then I had another coach, Jim Ciccarello, by the time I got to middle school. And he said, hey, why don't you try hurdles? Why don't you try high jump? Why don't you try shot put? And so I just did. I tried them all and um, ended up being pretty good. And, and yeah, just really just started from a combination of coaches encouraging me to try other things. And then coaches not forcing me into a particular area and letting me choose. So, yeah. That's amazing. Um, I will, first, I was able to have uh, Coach Ciccarello on a, a few weeks ago, actually. And Oh, cool. Yeah, nice. That, that was, uh, he's just such a, a wealth of knowledge. I think we barely scratched the surface with him, so. <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, he has so many stories. But, you yeah. know, you're right. I think it, it's so easy for a coach to see a kid with some talent in a certain area and be like, okay, that's what you're going to do. And you just kind of get fixated on it. Yeah. And, and then it can be hard for the, well, no, no, this is all I'm good at. This is all I can do. And it can be hard for the kid to later on pick yeah. what. Um, well, yeah. And, and even if they are good at it, um, if they don't have the choice in autonomy, then they're probably not going to love it for long term. You yeah. know, the autonomy has to be there. You gotta let you gotta let them choose, and I think that's why I I enjoyed it so much and was able to work hard. So, that's yeah. I think that's a great lesson, and I mean, I know I know it can be hard. I mean, I I've even found it like with distance. You know, I coach distance, and it's hard to like let those kids go to <laughs> mm-hmm. you know try out other. Yeah, but it's okay. Exactly. Yeah, it's okay. Like, yeah, it, it's 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 easy to see it from like in the moment perspective, mm-hmm. but you know, look at the long view and there's so much time to try different things. Like we have a girl here at Duke who started her freshman year in college as a cross country runner. And now she's one of the best 200 meter runners in the country. So she went from distance to 200 after high school. Just one example of many that you can always find something different. So, No, I, I I completely agree with you. And I think, you know, to, to either, either side, like, you know, just because a kid isn't good in something when they're young doesn't mean they can't get good with lots of practice and, and growing oh, sure. and maturing. And yeah. sometimes something they think they're good at is, you know, isn't their best event. And, and it, it does mm-hmm. take them some time to, to find it. So that's a that is a great point. And so, you know, you talked about starting off as a young kid and then and moving into middle school. So what did that look like going into high school? Yeah, so when I got to about eighth grade, I had done a lot of USA track and field stuff, um, so club track, and that's when I kind of turned a corner and started to really, like, really work hard. Not just, like, I'm going to show up to practice and do what the coach says and have fun and never think about it when I'm away. Like, that's when I became incredibly obsessive about, like, being very 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 good 
and um, I don't know what it was. Like I, I remember when, like I got to the podium at nationals. I was seventh place. I remember looking up at the top and just being like, "What am I doing here? What am I doing here at seventh? Like what? What is actually going on?" And then it was probably too obsessive because like every decision I made throughout that time period was like, is this good for track or is this bad for track? Everything went through that filter, which is probably too much, but, but like it did help to a huge extent to like, I think boost my performances, you know, but in the high school, when I got to Academy, like I was so driven and Coach Kedge, like I've been, I've been so lucky to have great coaches. Ken Woodley, Jim Chicarello, Coach Kedge. Coach Kedge recognized that I had a lot of talent, I had a lot of drive, and and I wanted to find the best coaches to work with, whether they were in New Mexico or outside of New Mexico or at Academy or outside Academy. And he didn't recruit me to track. He said, Hey, if you want to do basketball, do basketball. You know, if you want to do track, do track. So like, again, that autonomy was there, but also he recognized I was going something, going for something so much bigger than like the current year's track season. And he let me work with so many other coaches outside of Academy and, you know, never chose my events for me. Just, accepted at the state meet and and that was another level of enablement that took that natural drive that was there um and just not getting in the way you know he was a huge help huge help but also just as important he knew where to kind of let me go and do my thing and a lot of coaches i don't think can do that so that's it's a long answer to to the high school uh, mentality I had. <laughs> no, I think that's a, uh, that's a great answer. Like I mentioned earlier, I think it can be hard for a coach to sometimes realize, you know, like you talked about that autonomy that, it, that a kid needs to kind of continue to love the sport and move yeah. forward and, and do the things that they, that they want to do. And obviously you talk about being a kid and being in high school and that really helped you out, you know, jumping forward a little bit, you know, you're doing some coaching now with Duke. Mm -hmm. How has that kind of helped you inform what you're doing at that level? Yeah. Well, there's, there's a lot of different skills that I was not aware of uh, when I started coaching, but since I am so close to being an athlete for so long, I still feel like I can relate to them better or in a different way than other coaches can. So I, I really am in touch with what they're feeling at different points of a race or a competition or whatever. And, and I can recognize and pick up on that and empathize with it really well. So for example, if, if an athlete is having a hard time in the middle of a decathlon, like say like at the pole vault, I can relate to exactly how that feels and can help alter or change uh, a mentality, you know, to put them on the track or on the, you know, course to something uh, positive and have a better attitude about it because I know 
how to spot little triggers that can push you the other way. But it's fun. I, I didn't know I would like coaching, but I'm developing, you know, and it it's uh, it's pretty similar to athletics, uh, to, to being an athlete. And it's fun to be creative and write different workouts and work with so many different people. So it's, it's fun. That's, that's great. And you, you touched on something there about, you know, helping an athlete moving on when, when something's not going right in a certain area and having a positive outlook to be able to, to continue, you know, that's one thing with, you know, decathlon, heptathlon and, and those multi events, because all your points and everything are tied together. Whereas if you're doing a different event, you know, you might have like a 200 and, and maybe, okay, I didn't, I didn't do well on the 200, but I've still got the 400 and it, mm-hmm. it's, it's an easy kind of break. I think an easier break to have. So yeah. how did you, um, you know, was it hard to kind of break events up to keep your, yourself motivated or keep yourself upbeat when you were having uh, maybe a bad event when you knew because everything's, you know, so connected points wise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was it was definitely difficult for me um, at times. And I never there were definitely times where I did well working with something that was bad and flipping it around and having a comeback. And then there were times where I wasn't able to do that. So so yeah, like I think at the end of the day, it's just important to recognize that there's so many different mentalities you can have and each thought is like, you don't have to be absorbed by wherever you are in the moment. And I see a lot of athletes doing that and that's where I kind of went wrong. And so like the more I'm able to you know get an athlete to recognize like, Hey, your thoughts or your feelings are just one little package and, of many possibilities that could be there. So take a step back and see like each way you can think about this and then turn the corner and then push yourself over to one that's more productive. So but that's hard to do. That is so much harder to do than it is to say it. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the hardest part about all of this, right? Is that, that mental aspect, anybody I can go out mm-hmm. there and, and train and, you know, talent levels can be a little bit different, obviously, and, and this and that. But man, if you can if you can't wrap your head around that mental part, whether you're doing, you know, multi events or you're doing sprints or jumps or distance, it is, you know, you it's it it it'll be hard to hit your full potential. Yeah, yeah, it's like so hidden too. You don't. It's hard to recognize. Even just saying the mental game right. is so huge there's so many different parts to it and they have a lot of skills to be trained it's not um it's not as clear-cut as like hey we're going to work on the technique for the long jump or we're going to work on your block starts like there are so many different components to the mental part of it that you know and, and a lot of coaches don't even touch on it they don't even don't even know that's a big thing so it could be yeah let's let's see if we can dig ourselves out of a hole or is it like hey can we uh run hard in a 1500 meter run you know there's so many different parts and coming back to what you said earlier i think being so close to being an athlete and recognize the journey of the decathlon and the journey of just being a track athlete like i'm 
still pretty closely in touch with with what those feelings are so yeah and, and kind of on that point your everybody's mental state is so different right so yep you know what worked for you may not work necessarily for for one of your athletes which can mm-hmm. be like you said i mean it's it's a, much easier to say it than to <laughs> to do it yeah in well and moment. and not not just individual differences but sometimes event to event differences like you might have like a mentality that works great in the shot put like super high adrenaline go for it like but then if you bring that same mentality to the 1500 it might not work so well or or even if you bring it to like another throwing event like the discus sometimes you just need to be more patient in the discus so it's not just dependent on the person but on the event and even where they are in their developmental cycle like where at, at per event per person at a given time so there's all these variables to kind of to work with wow yeah. yes and i i you know, again, I, I mostly just work with the distance kids, so it's it's easy. It's just it's just distance. Like, <laughs> I don't think it's easy. I think distance is the hardest, honestly. <laughs> I mean, they're they're hard in different ways, right? But I've I've never felt more discomfort than than running distance by far. <laughs> it is the it is the hardest one to make the decision to work hard in. I mean, would you, know? you would you say that was your your most difficult? Um, part then was you know that those 800s and 1500s uh i mean difficult in the sense of yeah it hurt to do like for sure like it, it was difficult in the sense of like man that workout just wiped me out yes um i wouldn't feel the same way in other events but um but then there's like technical difficulties like i struggled a lot in the javelin it was hard for me to get to the place where i can where i could consistently throw well and and even then um it was hard so like was there ever much discomfort no but there was a lot of frustration and i and i just had a hard time um getting that technique down so yeah javelin is one i I mean a lot of the throwing events like i said i don't really work with them but i you know i'm around and i hear and i i'm watching the kids and it is definitely not all about power like you know some of these guys make it seem like because it just looks effortless Mm -hmm. you know when you're just watching it on tv or you're watching some of these good high school kids you know they're just going out there but you know there's so many little things and and positioning of your feet and and release angles and stuff that you know is i can imagine being um difficult to get down oh yeah and and for me like i i was really good at sidearming stuff but once my hand had to go above my shoulder, I've always had some shoulder stuff and I never could figure out what it was. But um, then like all my coordination would just be like lost. <laughs> it was just like, it's like the moment I went above my shoulder and like had to do this, it, it was just not good. But I could side, I could skip a rock really well and like my technique would be awesome. But like, yeah, like once, once it would go above my shoulder, it just wasn't, wasn't there for some reason. <laughs> well uh you know i'm gonna go back to to talking about distance for just a second because sure. y- you did run i believe the fastest 1500 in ncaa for um the decathlon and i think it was second all time with 
just under four minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And what did it feel like to to break four minutes, I guess, first of all, in the 15? Oh, that was fun. That was so <laughs> great. I was so happy to get that 359. And I only did it once, so I'm so glad <laughs> I ha- it happened. It would have been great to get the record, but like, it would have been great to get the record. But I'm s- probably happier to to get the I would rather I'd rather have 359 and not the record than if the record was over four and be at like four flat. Yeah. Um yeah, that was that was really great. That was really great to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean um, it's still an NCAA yeah. record, so that's <laughs> It is. Yeah. Yeah, it's an NCAA record. I'll take it. Um I did get the all-time in the indoor 1000. So so okay. that was I'm glad I did that. But yeah, no, that was that was one of the best feelings to like, yeah, cross a line and see the three right there. Most distance runners would be like, you know, at least at the college and beyond, they'll be like, oh, you only ran three fifty nine <laughs> in the fifteen, like you ran this in the eight, but you can only run three fifty nine. I'm like, man, like after a fifteen, that's pretty hard. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> so, or after not after a fifteen, after at the end of a decathlon. Right, right. Um, not only yeah, after so. everything, but I mean the amount of other things that not only are you doing beforehand, but that you're also, you know, having to, to train for and have enough power to, to do the throwing events and yeah. power to do the, the sprinting. I mean, a 359 is super impressive. <laughs> I was happy with it. Yeah. But I think really the hard part with decathletes isn't necessarily that it comes at the end of the decathlon. It's more that one, we don't train the aerobic part of it as much. And two, uh, mentally, like we don't go into the well in that sense very often. So like, I think there's something to be said for consistently pushing yourself to that level um, and being able to mentally withstand it. Um, If you never touch that, if you don't touch it very often, then I think a lot of decathletes are very, and myself included, like hypersensitive to the discomfort that you feel in the middle of it. And that's another barrier too. That, that makes sense. I can definitely, and it speaks to what you were talking about earlier with, with the distance events. You know, like you mm-hmm. said, you're, like, you're not used to pushing your body in, in that way. It, it's no. completely different. No. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost like decathletes are in a in like the worst zone possible or <laughs> in shape enough to like push hard but not in shape enough for it to feel good. <laughs> and so like if we were in so like terrible shape, we couldn't get to the place where it hurt. But we're at that place, but we're not so far along to where like all right, we can race race a fast hard race and it feels good. No, it's always going to hurt because we're just not it's in that weird middle zone. (laughs) That is a a great way to put that. (laughs) It took, it's, it took years to like piece that together, but I think that's what it is. I think that's why, like why I think sprinters will think the 400 is the hardest event because they're in shape enough to run hard for, but they don't run the four a lot. So they always say it's the hardest event, but the hardest event for any given athlete, I think is, what's just out of reach to what you're not quite super in shape for. And for the decathletes, that's a 1500. Yeah. Let me, I, 
I, I think I agree with you there. I mean, that makes a lot of sense for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's that's my my hypothesis at the moment. So, <laughs> <laughs> so kind of going back to the to the mental game, how do you mentally prepare? Because I mean, your athletes are, are going to be out like you talked about, you're in shape, you're doing all these things. How do you mentally prepare to go out and know you've got 10 events that you've got to get through in, you know, a span of about two days? Well, uh, I think it's having a short term mentality, you know, just one thing I always told myself is one day at a time, one event at a time, one attempt at a time. So when I'm on day one, I'm all day one, day two is all day two. And then within, when I, within that little package of like day one, there's five events. So like I'm on the long jump, all right, day one, long jump. And then kind of nesting each one in its own little shell. It's like day one, long jump, first attempt. So instead of just, I think it's easier. It was easier for me to piece it like that than it was to be like one event at a time within the whole decathlon. Like thinking of it for some reason, and it's a subtle, but like it, it made a big difference to me, but it's like one day at a time. So I can think of like the day one is day one but then packaging something within day one, one day at a time, one event at a time, one, a, one attempt at a time. And so that, you know, because in the back of my mind, I still knew it was bigger than just what I'm, what I'm doing in the moment. But I could just like shorten what was in the back of my mind, I think, which is kind of what I did. And, and that really helped because talking about like central governor theory, like, you know, what, what you subconsciously get tired about when in the middle of something, like if you think of the whole thing at any given moment, you're not going to be able to go as hard. So you just got to shorten that window. Right. And that makes sense. It actually uh, sounds a lot like when I talk to ultra marathoners, you know, they kind of say the same thing, you know, they're not putting the entire context of 50 miles or a hundred miles in their head. It's I need this next aid station or mm-hmm. you know at some points just one foot the other foot you know depending <laughs> on where they're at but yeah 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 it's it's crazy it's crazy how that works but it, it works it's like the barrier to us like falling apart is sometimes the perception of how much we have left and there's usually more than more in the tank that than our mind will allow us to give so you got to kind of hack the system a little bit. You got to be like, okay, it's only this much, you know? Right. And that, and that makes sense. And it, it, like you said, it's, it is a hack. And I think, uh, I think it's in the science of running. Uh, they talk about that where it's like, I, I have that book. I need to read it. I, yeah. I haven't finished it. I'm still the, okay. the, the first half is very dense and it is, I mean, it's got a ton of information, but it, it is yeah. very dense. But he talks about that, about the fact that your your mind won't let you use up more than what you have. It's mm-hmm. and it's why, like at the end of a race, you always have that burst, right? You've you've conserved yep. energy, and then yep. now it's like, oh, I know I'm done. I can I can push. I can yep. extend yep. myself, and so that breaking things up definitely 
can help with that. I mean, it's, I mean, even, even a marathoner isn't looking at the entire marathon as their, you know, beginning, right. They're looking at, mm-hmm. you know, 10 K or 10 miles or, you know, however they break it up for themselves. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's definitely a, a, a science, a psychology, a mental game to all of, all of that whether we oh for sure yeah that is the classic decathlon 1500 is like go out hard there's a lot of adrenaline and then the middle two laps is like oh this hurts <laughs> there's so much left to go and then all of a sudden there's a huge burst of energy at the end it's fast slow slow fast like for each lap and that is the challenge so like like what you said there is is it like that's it's it's like how do you get people to shorten that mentality and it's it's crazy how consistent it is across events and even across sports you know yeah absolutely even probably probably even in office work like you know do i have a whole day of work oh eight hour day or like all right let's just do this one project right now i don't know right well i know like as a as a teacher you know, I break it up as far as like, when, when are the breaks, you know, I'm just, Uh I'm working on reading right now. I'm working on, you know, that and it, and then we have those breaks for the kids because then they know, okay, it's this and then this, and it helps them Uh not think about a full school day, you know, because at the elementary level, it's a long day for those kids. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. They're ready to get out. Yeah, I know. And that's another thing. I'm here in Jacksonville and I think in Jacksonville, they like eliminated PE for some, like not even, or yeah, I think they eliminated PE. It was crazy. Like for elementary. Oh my God. Um, It was either eliminate PE or eliminate recess. One or the other, which is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Anyways, I was lucky to not have that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I remember several years back, there was a push for that because uh, I don't think New Mexico ever really went through it, but it was definitely a, well, the kids need more time learning. And so we can take it away from, from this point when it's like, no, the, nope. they, they need that one, they need that break. And two, they need the exercise because that's helping their brain, like the blood yes. flowing off. Yes. Like, <laughs> Yes, it's like there's no science involved in that. And they need the unstructured learning, I think. Like PE is like unstructured play, unstructured socialization, figuring it out, you right. know. Um, anyways, but yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people on the school board, especially out in the southeast, as I've learned in North Carolina, there's not too many scientists on the board. Um, <laughs> Not to get political or anything, but oh yeah, I I mean, I I could jump on that soapbox for a while, but <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we'll, little tangent. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll pull it back to the to the stuff. So, but but I guess a little bit on that note, what I guess took you to Duke? Yeah. So um, fortunately, I had done very well in track throughout high school, and. I was in a position where I was offered scholarships at different schools and I could pretty much go wherever I wanted, not wherever I wanted for a scholarship because to be fair, like, you know, men's scholarships in non-revenue sports outside of basketball, football are so, so scarce. 
So um, I I didn't get a full ride like out of the gate. You know, I knew a world record holder in college who was not on a full ride scholarship. So, you know, little tidbit there. But I, I was fortunate to look for a lot of places and my goal, my primary goal was to run professional track and field. And I wanted to go to the coach who would best develop me for that long-term successful career. And I felt that that was Sean Wilborn at Duke. And it turned out pretty great. And I also wanted a good school and, you know, track and field, you know, essentially got me into Duke. I have, I think I probably would not have gotten in without track. And uh, fortunately, track was like a ticket to a great school and um, I had an amazing experience there. And yeah, so it was connection with the college coach and, and, you know, I love the school. When did you know that you wanted to do this professionally? Uh, when I was 12. <laughs> I, you know, like I said, I loved running. And, you know, I was probably one of those kids with an unrealistic dream. Thing is, I never had ambitions. It was never about, like, the Olympics. You know, and I say that, like, I never went to the Olympics. So, like, it probably <laughs> sounds like a rationalization. But, like... Um, but no, like I love track. I wanted to do what I love doing every day as a profession. And, you know, that when I was 12, you know, what's the thing that I love the most? It loves love to run. And so when, you know, teachers, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, well, what do I like doing the most? I want to do this as a profession. And that's what I did. Did I make much money? I did not as an athlete. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, but I was able to sustain a career, and uh, and now I'm trying to change it up a little bit to continue it to continue being involved in the sport in my line of work. So, oh, that's I mean that's pretty awesome that at that age you knew this was something you wanted to do and you were able mm-hmm. to to do that. I was lucky. I was so lucky to find what felt like a calling, like. It was, you know, for a period of time, like even right now, I'm like, oh, what do I want to do? Or what am I going to major in in school? Like track and field like pulled me into that. And it was a passion. It was like I worked so hard, but I loved what I did. And there was no, it nothing, none of it felt like work at any time. None of it felt like work. And yet I would from the outside in look like I was working harder than anyone else out there, like by far. And so I was so lucky to, to feel that pull and that like calling like feeling from a pretty early age. And really like, how did I get to run track in college and run track as a pro? It was that feeling. It was that feeling like I am not that naturally talented in track like I am naturally talented. I'm enough to like meet the barrier or the bar to like have a chance. But compared to a lot of my peers, a lot of them in college, a lot of them in pro, I'm really not that much more naturally talented or not even as naturally talented. Uh, like I'm probably like going on another tangent. I guess that's kind of what the purpose of the podcast is. But right. anyways, um, quick note, I did, we would do like raw physical like tests at Duke, I would finish in the bottom three in my team. 
And these are just meant to test like raw athletic talent. There were some girls that would beat me in those. And, you know, to be fair, like, I don't think it really hit on all of my natural talents, but I think that having the passion, having the drive, having that calling feeling, that's what pulled me to be really good in track and led to these opportunities. I think that that is, I mean, I'm glad you said that because there is a lot of, I think there's a lot of kids that they look at where they're at right now and they look at what they have and they don't think about the work they can put into it to get to where they want to be. Yeah. And it's not just working hard. Like so many athletes work hard in the completely the wrong ways. Um, how do you work smart? How do you work in the right ways? And you, and the only way, not the only way, but like how you find that is either through being lucky and having people around you who know what they're doing, which I had. Um, and also having that passion. Like if you want it, if you really, really want it, you're going to find a way. Like you're not going to have time for any like bullshit work. That's you just, you just, there's no time for it. And so, so it, it comes from that feeling. In my opinion, my experience it really comes from from that feeling so you talked about earlier about i I think kind of there in that that middle school into high school that everything you did was through the lens of how good you wanted to be in this and and Mm -hmm. getting into that next level did that continue into college yeah in college i i i started to feel a little burned out and I think it's because of that mentality. It was, it was too much. Like I didn't have much of a life outside of track in high school. And even in college, um, it was so hyper-focused into that. And so I think I was only able to sustain a career because I was able to package it together in its own thing. So like, it doesn't mean I got less focus. It just meant I was focused on track at a certain given time and I was able to see it as a piece in a much bigger life. And that's tricky because I think that I've always done well when I've really only focused on one thing, but I think a lot of it too is, you know, I saw track and my result, my direct results in track as a reflection of like my identity and like self-worth and like that passion, it took it to that level by high school, college and then if I'm able to separate myself, how I view myself from the results I achieve and focus more on the day-to-day, who I am, and not, not tie my self-perception to the results that are achieved, then that kind of opened the door to even just enjoy it in the moment and have a, have a professional career. Right. And I think, again, that's something that a lot of athletes go through right you you get so tied in to what you're doing that it becomes your identity yep and it's hard to separate yourself and then when you know high school is over or you know if you make it to college and you do it and college is over and you don't have that thing it, it's so easy to become lost mm-hmm. well yeah that and the thing is with that mentality, 
It works for a short period of time, but not long-term. It's not a great long-term motivator. And, you know, I see a lot of college athletes where, and the, this is where the coaches don't, don't kind of develop it very well. Like the right mentality is coaches are very results focused and the athletes, their results are tied to their self-worth. And, and then when that becomes a negative when that drive becomes like a negative then you start to actually have poor results and it becomes a a bad cycle and then you know they usually end up quitting or having some you know mental i don't want to say disorders but just like it can manifest itself in pretty pretty bad ways if if that's taken too far and fortunately um we have great psychologists at Duke that work with the Duke track team and outside the Duke track team. And it was only through that, that I didn't even intend to have that. uh, I keep saying only through that. There's many other pieces, but like that was one piece uh, that, that really helped me separate some stuff. So, yeah. Is that, I guess, part of why you ended up going into psychology because that's your bachelor's degree right is psychology yeah um yeah i i majored in psychology i don't think that was a reason why i think i was just genuinely interested in the in the in the what it was like i was gonna major in economics for practical reasons but my academic advisor was just like just do what you're interested in it's fine (laughs) don't worry about what it's gonna lead to so i was like okay and so, so I just took classes I was interested in, and that just happened to be psychology classes. Well, that's that's cool. But you know, and on the other side too, I think I mean, the the way this conversation going, you know, and and going into coaching, I mean, that definitely seems like it is something that that will be helpful too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then what I realized, like as a student there, like it didn't matter really what I majored in, because I think what I think. I took the most wasn't necessarily what I learned, but like how to think well, like how do you process information? How do you take competing claims and figure out something, you know, something productive from it? You know, how just very general logical reasoning type stuff. Like that's, that was really the value. And then, and then the psychological part, like what I learned, like I don't remember hardly any of like, you know, what is this this disorder? What is that disorder? Like, how do you treat it? Like, I don't remember any of that, but like, I think the skills learned and, and how to learn that's, that's kind of what, what's taken, what's gone forward with, I think after, after the, um, undergrad. So. Makes sense. Going forward a bit from college, you were able to continue this. Obviously you Mm -hmm. competed at two Olympic trials you were sponsored by Nike for um, for a while there, almost three years, or I think three mm-hmm. and a half years. Did that, when you accomplished that and you got that chance to do what you had <laughs> decided, like, this is what you're going to do, did you feel like you had made it? I never felt like I made it. There, that was never going to happen, no. Um, and I never wanted it to happen. Uh, it was a big checkbox for sure. Like 
like it was going to happen like i was going to go pro like but yeah no i mean i i made a you know a world championship team and you know that was huge but even then i was like just a few points shy of winning a medal and that was crushing so I achieved all the dreams I had when I was 12 and that feels great, but there's still plenty of unachieved things that just crushes me at the same time. And I wouldn't want it any other way. You know, I really wouldn't like I all, there's always something better to do. And it's less about what I achieved and more about like that hunger and that pursuit and, 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 and honestly, looking back, like it was the, it was the practices. It was like just going for it every day that I think I probably had the most fun in. It was just the day-to-day work. The day-to-day work was the best part. That's that. I mean, that's pretty cool. And, you know, I guess from my perspective, again, like I don't, I don't know much about, you know, decathlon. I don't know much about you know, a lot of the field events, especially at that level, like I'll tune in and I'll watch them and I find them exciting. And, you know, especially, I mean, watching the, the men's um, shot put right now, like what they are doing is just insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does it look like? Or what did it look like for for you? I just, I don't even know how many opportunities you had or how many meets you had to really compete in the decathlon as, as a pro. Um, so I competed in my whole career, including high school. Honestly, I felt like a pro when I was like eighth and ninth grade, like that feeling never changed. Like from high school to college to pro, it felt the same. Like the pursuit was the same. The intensity was the same. So all of that together, I competed in about 30 decathlons, um, as a pro, I don't know maybe eight if that i don't know it's kind of like boxing you only do like maybe one or two a year okay that makes sense because it's so intensive yeah or or like a marathon it's like a marathon you know yeah that makes sense uh you know we are coming up close to those olympic trials you know for this year what was it like to i know you talked about like (laughs) y'all not like a pro since, you know, middle school, but what was it like to compete and get ready for Olympic trials? So Olympic trials was one of the meets where I don't think I prepared very well mentally or just even in general, like I, I prepped well, but like I, I was, wasn't ready to compete. And I think, um, I think we all kind of have our standards and metrics of what we think we can realistically do and not do. And, and I think by the time I got to the Olympic trials, unfortunately, I never was able to get past like realistically, truly believing and seeing myself on the Olympic team, um, which was dumb because I totally like I totally had it within me like like 2012. I mean, that was just like it wasn't even about making the Olympics like it really was not a, like for where I was at it was not something crazy to achieve by any means and almost actually probably expected like 
I don't want to say it's a high bar because it's the Olympics, but like it was a completely achievable. And when I got there, I kind of like freaked out a little bit. Like we, me and my coach, I mean, like in 22, I remember we like tried some new things and you never try new things before like a big meet like that. Or, um, or I'm thinking about it so much during the year that by the time I get there, it's like, like exhausting, like, dang, I've done, and here it is. So it's actually not uncommon to, to get to a big meet like that and feel just surprisingly normal and not pumped up. And, and I think that, um, when I got there, those were, and you know, they only come once every four years. Uh, there's not a lot of chances only for me twice in my career. And those two times I just, you know, I, I wasn't in the right, uh, state of mind for, for that individual competition. If I just would have brought it like I would any other meet, I would have had a much better chance. Right. And that's, I mean, I can, again, I can kind of understand that. I think a lot of people go through that. Like we talked about, you know, have that, that letdown because they've, they've worked it up so much or they've, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just have exhausted themselves before they get there mentally, you know, physically all the pieces are there, but that, that mental part that we kind of keep on coming back to is, is, is so key. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like setting our own standards, like subconsciously, like for me, you know, I think you just got to go from wherever you're at, like, you know, not think too far ahead, not think, not undervalue yourself. And, you know, I think when I was younger growing up, I, I was thinking all about world championships, Olympics and achieving that. And I think that was thinking way too far ahead. Like I just ought to done better if I just focused on the next thing maybe keep it in the back of my mind, but like be as intense about like the next thing. But then when I got to the Olympics, I think I, that was the next thing or the Olympic trials, the Olympics was the next thing. And yet I didn't, I like undervalued myself. Like it was not, I mean, it really like by the time I got there, nothing crazy. And I wish I would have been able to perceive it as something that wasn't too crazy because I thought of it as like, it's the Olympics. Oh my gosh. And, but you know, like athletes put their own, uh, without even realizing it, put their own ceilings. It could be the state championship. It could be the finals. It could be NCAAs. Like, I just wish I could make NCAAs. It could, for me, it was the Olympics and some athletes, it's like getting an Olympic medal. You know, some athletes it's like, it happens at every level and it's important to recognize that you just got to be realistic with where you're at. And sometimes that means being realistic, like not overshooting, but realistic also as in not undershooting and being very honest with yourself. So. Right. And so just recently, I think last month you officially retired. Mm Mm-hmm. You are doing, like we talked about, some coaching with Duke. You're there now actually at the um, Eastern Regionals for NCAAs. Is this what you see yourself doing for a while, the coaching? Yeah. So it's, um, I spent like the last year of the pandemic figuring out what I wanted to do. And so it's a very different experience from what I said. Like I had this natural calling to track. Now it's just like, like I thought I wanted to retire about a year ago, but I wasn't sure. Like now I'm sure. 
And, and so this past year was less about like being pulled into this calling or passion and more about like cultivating one and trying different interests, trying different, you know, I tried software development. I tried, you know, you know, I've been trying coaching like other things. And I think what I've really started to hone in on what I like doing is coaching and kind of like what you're doing, like taking a lot of the stuff that I learned and scaling it to a lot of people. Like I've been so lucky to have amazing mentors, amazing coaching, learned so much great stuff from the highest, highest levels. And if I can take that and use, whether it's podcasts or YouTube or like whatever, our current technology to like make it very accessible to anyone else who wants to work hard. Like that's, that's what I want to do. And I also like building things. I love, uh, like I have like two little apps I've been working on. Um, you know, one is like a track team management one that the Duke track team has been using. And then another is pretty different. It's like a, you pick the recipes you want to make for the week and it'll just auto create a grocery list for you. So like, you know, I don't know where theirs will go, but like, I love being creative and, and, and making those things. And the more I can tie everything together into one thing, then that's what I'm going to go for. And it's, and it's going to be something entrepreneurial, um, because I know that I, I work part-time I have, I struggle like being an employee, like <laughs> for better or worse, like I, I'm going to, I got to go for it. It's got to be my own thing, at least for the first few years, unless there's something outrageously good that comes that comes around um yeah like <laughs> maybe that's a fault <laughs> I, I mean you're young enough to to still do that so i i think you know now's the time too right <laughs> yeah now's the time like i i do personal training and um you know, there's a lot of parents who, who pay a good amount of money, um, you know, for, for, for a coach and, and I'm able to work essentially part-time and pay the living expenses that I need and, and take the other time to, to take some risks. So, um, so I'm in a good place, you know, financially, mentally, and just figuring out different things and, it's, and I'm having a lot of fun. I'm having way more fun now than I did the last couple years of just trying to make track and field work. And it just wouldn't. So, Well, that's, I mean, I think that's great. I think that's a great way to, to have that um, introspective of, of seeing like, you know, this was a passion. And like you said, it, it wasn't quite working, but now you know, finding other things that, that will work for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was time and it was, man, I should have, I should have pulled the plug at like 2018. <laughs> um, but it was, it was a, a good two, two and a half, three years of, of trying to persevere. But at the end of the day, you know, sometimes I don't know if giving up is the right word, but 
legit quitting and stopping and changing direction. Sometimes that's the right call. And for an athlete, as athletes, you're always told, like, work harder, you could do it, persevere, like, tough it out. Those are pretty ingrained. And it should be ingrained in, like, in, in certain aspects. But being able to step back and, and see a bigger picture, know when to change, like, that's also just as important of a skill. doesn't mean you have to be soft and, like, quit at any sense of discomfort, but, like, for me, like not persevering at this time, I think is the right call. I I think that's a great way to put it. I think, I think like you said, like it's, it's a, it's a difficult word to put. Like you're, it's not that you're, that you're quitting. I don't even think it's not that you're, you're persevering, but it's just, it's just that time, you know, mentally, mm-hmm. maybe physically, yeah. To... I mean, it feels like I'm giving up, <laughs> um, but I think it's I think it's okay because like the Olympics are right here. Right. The Olympic trials are right here. I'm qual like I could qualify for the Olympic trials. You know, it's not. You know, if I'm going for the Olympics, like making the Olympic trials, you know, as long as I'm healthy, like I could do it, and I could give a give it a shot. Um, but I wasn't having fun with it. Like I honestly, like for however I was pursuing, I wasn't having fun with it. I was very injured. I was very frustrated. And, you know, I mean, you never know in the moment. Like, there are definitely times where I'm like, man, maybe I, maybe this is the year I could have made the Olympics. And maybe it was. Maybe it is. But you don't know. You really don't know. And, you know, I, I spent the last year going, being very back and forth. And, at the end of the day, I just had to make a decision and got to commit. And so I'm committing to something else. Well, I think, you know, no one can, can know what, what you're feeling, but it's, it's never, never an easy choice, right? It's never, uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm giving, I'm giving up on something I enjoy, but I think, yeah. you know, finding, like you said, cultivating other passions and, and being yeah. able to continue to help other people reach their goals. I, yeah. I, I feel like that's a, that is a great segue in, in your life to, you know, like you said, still be a part of it and still can continue that passion for it in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I didn't know if it was going to be in track or outside of track. Like it could have been in the form of that like little food app I mentioned, like my cousin, who's an incredible software developer, like he was really excited about it. We were about to work on it, but he's currently has, has this other startup he's in and, and I just couldn't find help to work on it. So it could have been that, like it could have completely shifted (laughs) to something outside of the sport completely, you know, a risky startup, like probably would have failed, but like, you know, like that, like that would have been really fun. Um, but you know, it's not that and you know, circumstances changed and now I think I'm, I just, I think, I think I have more to more value to give, you know, doing this because the last couple of years felt like I was just going for it, going for it, going for it, still injured, not feeling it performances weren't there it's 
like, all right, I worked so hard for a year and like, this is it. Like, this is the product. So, um, so yeah. Well, I definitely know from what we've talked about and your all in attitude that whatever athletes you work with are going to know that you are all in on them. And, um, I think that's going to be great. So I, yeah, uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. (laughs) Like, yeah, if I can, if I can bring that attitude and, you know, get other people to feel the same productive things that I felt and avoid a lot of the mistakes that I made, then that'll be really fun. So, and like, like I said, is I want to take a lot of the lessons I learned in some capacity, scale it and, make it accessible, whether it's through a website, like podcasts, like whatever. Like, I think there's so much that, you know, even through this conversation, it's recorded. Yeah. People can listen to this at any time in the future, right. like as long as it's accessible somewhere, like this never dies. And so like, I think there's a pretty, really good opportunity in these next few years while I'm still, well, still super fresh to just, get it all like recorded and package it. And, and that way, like, I think a lot of the stuff that I did do like and learn over the past few years can still be um, of some value that doesn't get lost. And, you know, who knows what form that'll take, but, but that's a lot more exciting to me than, than, uh, than just competing for myself. So. Well, I I think that's great. And I think this is a a great spot to wrap up. And, you know, whatever it is that you end up doing, I look forward to to checking it out for sure. Um, But, you know, for now, I'll ask you the last question I ask everybody. And that is, uh, what is, uh, what are you listening to, to kind of get you pumped, to get you going, uh, get you motivated for the day? So, uh, my most productive part of the day is like the first two hours when I wake up, I'll wake up breakfast, coffee, and then I'll start working on something like everything's creative and I will blast, um, just electronic EDM type music. Like I don't even know the words, (laughs) but it'll just be like super high adrenaline. Just, just going for it. Um, whether it's my headphones blasting. Yeah. Just like just anything electronic, just, you know, I don't know. And it's like you're going to like some some concert and I, and like yeah, like that's like the best part of the day. <laughs> it's just working on stuff and just just like high adrenaline. And then yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's awesome. That's that's how I get my day started. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely wake you up, that's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean I'm I'm already woken up. Like I get eight, I get 8 to 9 hours of sleep. I still get some coffee, whatever. I'm feeling awake, but like for whatever reason, like that's, um, I don't, I don't think I need it either. It's just, it's just, uh, just what gets you. I don't know. It just, it just makes it fun. I don't know. Maybe I do need it. Maybe like in a normal track practice, it's like high adrenaline and I just need that little boost. I'm sitting at a computer (laughs) staring at a screen. So maybe it is needed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well that's, that's good. That's awesome. Uh, you know, again, Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I, this was a, a lot of fun. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? 
No, this is awesome. Um, I appreciate it. I'm so glad you're doing this, and um, I will definitely check out some other episodes. I'd once again like to thank my guest for their time, and thank you for tuning in. If you have the opportunity, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, or just help spread the word. Music was provided by Philip Friedman. You can follow him on SoundCloud at DJ Teach. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at RunningNM. Feel free to drop me a line or shoot me an email at RunningNewMexico at gmail.com if you have any questions or know of someone who should be interviewed. In the meantime, keep running, New Mexico.